Well, lest you think I'm on another planet, how about those royals? You see, I felt incredibly conflicted this morning. I knew that if I brought it up, it might just all of a sudden you begin to think about your favorite moment for the last game and you'd just be lost, right, for the rest of the, the time we've got together. But I knew that if I didn't say anything, you'd feel like, well, wow, Mark, do you live in Kansas City or don't you? <laughs> and I do, and it has been so much fun, hasn't it? I understand that the Royals now are the team that has had the most come-from-behind victories in postseason play. And uh, there's just something really um, endearing about those guys and the, and the way they play the game, isn't there? One of the things, Beth and I were watching the game last night, and you know there were five outs left, and I just said to Beth, I just don't know. And then you see these players, and it's just on their faces, it's just, just a sense, it's not over till it's over. Over and over again, it's not over till it's over. It's not over till it's over. And that just drives them forward. The reason I share that is because when we come to God's Word... Uh, that is still true, even more true. It is never over until it's over. And I think there are things in our life that we actually feel like kind of kick us out. It's over for me. I've just done too many things wrong. I've messed up my life. I'm too old. Whatever is on that list, it's easy for us to say, you know what? It's pretty much over. And we come to God's word, and this is what is true, that God wants to speak to us this morning about something that will fuel our life in such a way that there is, there is far more ahead of it than you and I could even imagine. So let's ask God this morning to remind us that it's not over and ask him to show us what he wants to say to us this morning as we look in his word, okay? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that as we approach this book, some 2,000, uh, 3,000 years old, parts of it, uh, that even in the midst of reading an incredibly old book, that there's something new you want to say to us today. There's a way you long for our lives to be changed and transformed, that it is never over, Lord, because of the Spirit of the living God. And so, Lord, we pray that your Spirit would, would, uh, would be here this morning in powerful ways, and that we would walk out of here with renewed hope and expectation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this week I got a phone call from my daughter, Audrey, who is in Chicago going to grad school there, and her car wasn't working. And it's not an old car, but uh, she was in, in a parking lot, and she, she, she started it, and it just made this incredibly terrible rattling noise. And so through the beauty of Facebook, which just hasn't evolved to the place yet where it can diagnose car problems, uh, in the middle of the night, she's trying to shine a flashlight, pop the hood, Audrey, and let's just see, she had just changed the oil recently, and I thought, you know, that could be some of it, and uh, tried to help her find the, the stick to calibrate how much oil there was in the engine, and that was a circus, actually, you know. <laughs> can you move it a little closer? And you know, it was new oil, so you couldn't see it very well on the app. And uh, finally, we figured out that's not what it was, and there was nothing else underneath. And, and she said, you know, it seems like it's further back in the car. And so we began moving back further, and behind the rear wheel, there's just this incredible rattling, loud noise going on. And I think, well, she lives in a part of Chicago. Maybe someone tried to pull the catalytic converter, or, you know, I, I just didn't know. And finally, I just said, Audrey, I, I don't know what it is. Um, best thing for you to do is just leave it there and get up the next morning and go to a mechanic. And I helped her try to find a place that she could go to. 
the next morning. And uh, she discovered that it was a um, heat shield uh, just around the muffler and the catalytic converter that actually had come loose on a relatively new car and was creating all of this noise. Totally unexpected. I was thinking it might be something else. You know, isn't that interesting when you see something and you know something's wrong and it's, it has incredible influence, makes this loud noise and you know it's just actually immobilizing you and you can't figure out what it is? And you say, I just want to run the diagnostic. I want to know what's going on. I'm not talking about cars anymore. I'm talking about our lives, right? It's when we're in a place in our life and we're saying, it's just going badly right now. It is more difficult than I expected it to be. It's, it's, it, my life right now is not working. And you wonder, what's gone wrong? And you want to do diagnostics on your life somehow. And here in James chapter 4, James, God really, is trying to invite his children to do diagnostics on their life when a life isn't working well. When it's filled with difficulty and conflict and problems, no movement forward. What, what's the deal, God? What is wrong? Why does my life feel broken right now? And James invites us to do diagnostics in that. And here's where I want to go with this, these 10 verses that we have in front of us this morning. I want, first of all, to talk about this issue. Of why the battle? And it talks about fights and quarrels. Why is this battle going on? This messy, messy battle. Why, why the battle? Can things change when life doesn't work? And what can I expect God to do? So that's where we're headed. Let's first of all talk about this battle. Why does life sometimes feel like a battle? And James is describing these fights and quarrels among, among them, battles with others, even battles internally. It's not just the stuff that's going outside in my relationship or your relationship with someone else. It's the battle inside of you that's going on at, at, at the moment as well. You know, and why is life filled with so many problems and conflicts, such difficulty? Well, James gives us the reasons why, and two of them are, not ex are, are, are completely expected because he's already referred to them before. And the first one is this, because the devil is intent on making a mess of your life. There he is, right there in verse 7, he mentions it, he mentions it again. Submit yourselves into God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is not new information. We talked last week or the week before about the impact that Satan has and his, and his perspective. Now this notion that Satan exists is not an aberrant viewpoint. It's, it's not naive to suggest that Satan lives in this world. Jesus actually tells us it's true. The one who lived a perfect life, the one who is God himself, actually says, let me tell you something about the way the world works, or the way the world gets broken. It's Satan is alive, and he is real. This isn't heaven that we live in. We live in a broken world. Paul talks about this as all creation groans waiting for the redemption to come. It's just a broken place. So my brother, police officer, 27 years old, gets shot. He totally paralyzed, neck down, and one of our first conversations that we had, Mike asked me, Mark, did I do something that God was mad at me for? And, and it, we just kind of easily go there, don't we? What did I do because I got this mess going on in my life? And I said, Mike, it's not about that. The deal is this. There are people with guns and they shoot people, and you got shot in the face not because of anything you did. And I knew Mike well enough, and we had had conversations. God doesn't do that kind of thing, but we live in a world that's filled with messes like that, and it just happens. 
We face things in our life that tear us down, take us out, and it's because we live in a world that isn't heaven. It's broken, and we live with those kinds of things. But there's another point that James is making here. Sometimes it's because our desires are the things that mess up, up, mess us up and others as well. We see this in verse 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Verse 2, you desire but you cannot have, so you kill. It's the stuff that's going on inside of me. And again, this isn't new. James has already talked about it. In James chapter 1, verse 12, it talks about the desire, your own evil desire that we give permission to, and all of a sudden, it just blows up into this big thing that causes death around us. And uh, that's what happens. We give a foothold to the devil. And the foothold that's been given to the devil in this context is the foothold of jealousy and envy. I want what you have. That's what James is describing here. A group of people that are fighting with each other because of jealousy and envy. I want what you've got. Uh, I think we'd be, maybe we wouldn't be surprised by how many quarrels and how much conflict is birthed here through jealousy. I mean, not just the fights and quarrels that are out there and noisy and obvious, but the, the, the stuff that's going on that's just subtle and quiet and and, and lines have been drawn up, and there's just this feeling of conflict that pervades, even though it doesn't look like anything's going on. And in verse 11, uh, James goes on a little further and talks about gossip and slander. All of these things are birthed oftentimes because of a sense of jealousy or envy. I want what you have, and I don't have it, and I am distraught or upset. I want what you have with your kids. I want what you have with your spouse. I want what you have with your options. I want what you have in regards to happiness, your job, your influence. You've got it. I want it. In fact, I feel like you took it away from me. I want it even more. You know, that's what James is describing right here. Our desires make a mess of things. But now, James gets to the point he wants to draw out of here. He says the reason why, the reason why sometimes life feels like a, a, a battle is because God wants in. And God has desires as well, and God desires something for our life. Here's the third reason, because our life matters too much for God for him not to be involved in what's going on in our life right now. My life matters too much to him. God is jealous in his line. Isn't it interesting what James does here? He, first of all, talks about human jealousy and envy. I mean, that's what he's talking about the first couple of verses. And then he actually says right there in verse 5, did you know, by the way, that God is jealous too? Look at it. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he, that is God, jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? God is jealous now you think, whoa, I'm not sure what I think of this, but it's helpful for us to understand the two different types of jealousy there is. There's jealousy that's a vicious longing, vicious jealousy. I want what you've got, and I hate you because I haven't gotten it. It's infantile resentment, really, springing from covetousness, expressed in envy, malice, and, and, and meanness of action. There's a mad obsessiveness about it, that creeps in. There's that kind of jealousy, but there's another kind of jealousy too. It's jealousy that can be better, perhaps better characterized as zeal to protect a love relationship. 
You even see with this, if you turn to dictionary.com or wherever else it is, you can look at jealousy and the definitions of it, and we see the first two definitions. First is resentment, and that's always ugly, right? And the second definition has to do with suspicion or fear. Again, something really ugly and destructive. But there's this third meaning for jealousy, vigilance in maintaining or guarding something. God is jealous that way. He is vigilant in maintaining or guarding what? The spirit that he has placed in us as his children. You came to me. You asked for me to change your life, to forgive your sins, to step in and to fill your life. And so I placed my spirit there. And guess what? I will be vigilant in guarding and protecting in allowing that spirit in you to flourish and to thrive. His wrath is not a rash outburst that reveals pride or weakness, but it's a holiness reacting to evil in a way that is morally right and glorious. God's jealousy is not a compound of frustration and envy and spite as human jealousy so often is, but it appears instead as a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious You asked for it. I wanted you to ask for it. I've given it to you. I've given my spirit to you. And guess what? I will with all zeal seek to protect that. I am jealous for you and my spirit in you. It's just like a married person. Imagine a married person who felt no jealousy at the intrusion of a lover or an adulterer into their home you would think that person is crazy. The exclusiveness of marriage is the essence of marriage. That's what Tasker says. He talks here about adulterous people. It says, you you just misplaced your desire. And guess what? I'm going to step in and I will be jealous to have that back again. It is his spirit within us. We know this about the Spirit. We know that the Spirit of the living God comes in and gives to us, develops in us the fruit of the Spirit. That in our lives, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would see more and more in our lives the characteristics of love and of joy and peace and patience and self-control. When the Spirit is given unfettered access to our life, Those things happen. And then there's the Spirit of the living God who also gives us the gifts of the Spirit. So that we would have not only the character of God, but we would also have the capacity of of God's purposes in the world. That he actually gives us abilities to engage in the world for his purposes. The fruit of the Spirit and, and the gifts of the Spirit. So we actually might have the privilege, the the euphoria, really, of being part of seeing transformation take place. That's what he wants for us. And guess what? He is so jealous for it to be true in our lives. This is the gospel, after all, isn't it? God is good and beautiful. God tells us the truth about our brokenness. God restores our relationship with himself and with others. And God invites us on an adventure. He wants you and me to live out 
the adventures that accompany the gospel through the spirit of the living God. And he says this, anything that gets in the way of that in your life, I will engage in a way, in any way necessary, to turn things around for you. And so we ask the question, is it possible that some of the difficulties, some of the reasons why life isn't working for me right now is because God is jealous for his spirit and me. And he wants me to wake up and notice that I was actually created uniquely to be a part of God's purposes to bring joy to me, glory to him. In a life that I would say, that's exactly what I wanted. And he's right there behind me saying, and that's exactly what I intended. He is that kind of jealous. He is that kind of jealous. So we come to the second question, and that is, is it possible for my life to change? Can, can things change? And James goes right there with us. After pointing it out, he says, yes. He says, absolutely, it's possible. Two things need to happen. The first is this. I must be willing to repent, to turn around, to leave the stuff behind, the intentions behind, the direction of my life behind and ahead another direction. To be willing to repent. We see it in verses 8 and 9. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. To repent, to one, resist the devil. Two, wash your hands. You know, I know that um, the stuff that I get involved in can be noticed on my hands. I've uh, been just changing an um, intake manifold on my car, my, uh, my old car. And uh, came to work and I had plenty of uh, blood <laughs> and a whole bunch of grease, you know. I just tried to clean it out. You, know, you get under the fingernails and people can just tell what you've been doing. Well, I've been working on my car. You see, the places we go, the things that are true in our life, they actually impact us. And, and God says, would you, would you wash your hands of that? That dirt that you've invited in. Would you? I want you to. Because I am jealous for you. And purify your hearts. The word purity here is a reference to, it says double-minded in the text. It's other allegiances that compete with God. To be pure is to be of one thing. Are there any other allegiances in my life that are competing with God? Any other devotions that look like they're about the same or maybe matter more to me. And God says, I'm just, I'm going to be jealous for the allegiance that best suits your life thriving. And then mourn the impact of misplaced desires. Tasker said, as long as sin is active in the Christian's life and wreaking havoc in the lives of others, and that's what sin does, doesn't it? It messes us up and it messes others up. The mourning of regret, 
regret of its impact on us and impact on others must be among the Christian's most deeply felt emotions. That actually to feel regret, to mourn, to repent because of that is the most noble of emotions, the most appropriate godly emotion for us to feel. To feel that regret and that disappointment and that mourning that comes with it, that actually is an emotion of people who long for godliness in their life. So right now in your life, what is it? Guys, I pray with before church, I, I said to him, you know, I really, my longing, my prayer this morning is this, is that the spirit of the living God actually would speak into every single one of our lives because if God's spirit doesn't show up and say something to you and to you and to you and to you and to me, it's just like me going blah, 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 blah. But we're in this series in James. We're in James chapter four this morning and you decided to come to church. <laughs> Why? What is it? that God wants to just put a finger on as much as it might cause you to wince because he's jealous for you. And he longs for you to accept his invitation to repent. Yes, yes, your life can change if we choose to repent. And then secondly, if we're willing to submit, in the NIV, at least in my translation, this whole section, verses 1 through 12, is framed, submit yourselves to God. And that's the theme that we see here. We see it in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He, he wants us to humbly surrender, to come near to him. The disciples, when things got really bad, Jesus went up to the disciples and said, are you two also going to leave? And the disciples said, where can we go? Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's just a surrender and submission to God. I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago from an organization, and he said he was just sitting down with someone for the first time, and the person asked him, what are your two biggest sins? And he kind of said, well, that's kind of an interesting way to start a relationship, right? And he, and he said, and you know, I thought about that for a few days. What are the top two for me, the most the besetting sins for me that, that mess me up and others? And then he shared them with me. And then some, we hardly even know each other. And he said, you know, this is a big deal. The stuff in my life that messes me up, I, I'm glad I know it. And let me just let you know what it is. Boy, there's humility in something like that, isn't it? Let me just expose it to the light of day because I'm trusting God will be at work in my life in the midst of that. I wonder, what is it right now that harms your spirit? Is there something that God is just asking you to give up or to give over? We're going to celebrate communion in a little while, and one of the instructions that Jesus gave his the, the, the church was that before you come to the table, uh, if you actually are coming out of devotion to God, do some diagnostics. Is there anything right now that is standing between you and the richness of life that God wants in you because he's given your Holy Spirit? 
that you've resisted until now. And so we are going to read a confession of sin and more than just say, you know, I know we read it every month. To just actually ask the Lord to speak into your life in such a way that when we do, you'll be able to say, that's it. That's what I need God's help with. And that's what he's wanted to say to me for some time now. God, I want to submit my life right here and right now. This matters, friends. God is jealous for you. And the last question is this, is what can I expect God to do? You know, what can I be sure of in regards to what God will do? And then we see this verse here in, 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 in verse um, uh, uh, 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And I think sometimes this can be used as an invitation to ask for anything. But just make sure you have the right motives when you ask for it. You know, God, would you please help me to win the lottery? And I, my motives are all really good. You know, and, and that's not what this is talking about right now. In this context, he's talking about a specific thing he wants us to ask God for. And while it's true that God invites us to ask for things, I mean, he even referred to him, the father, he says, what father, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, would give him a rock? And God, God wants to give you and me the things that we need because he's just like the father in that regard. So he wants to give us those things that we need. Here he's saying, here are things that God is intent on giving to us if we ask him for him. The first is found in verse 8. He will come near to you. If we, if we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. More than anything else in all of the world, God wants to be near you. He wants, for you, he wants for you and I to know his presence, just to hear him breathe, to be there that close. As I was doing those diagnostics with my daughter, I, I got the, phone, the text message the next morning, and she was just telling me what happened and what it was and how grateful she was that I was in her life, even though I had blown it on what was wrong with the car. And I said, I texted her back and I said, Audrey, I wonder if when you're my age, you will understand how much it matters to a mom and her dad to have a relationship with her kid that is just right there. Because she was just talking about how much she appreciated my, my love for her. And I, I said, I don't know if you'll, you'll get this until you're my age. This is one of the, the most precious things about my life. I want to be near to you, and it matters so much to me. And then God said to us, call me Father. <laughs> Why? Because he wants to be like that with you and me. Audrey said she was a little nervous about what Trevor might think when she go, does her go-to in regards to car mechanics to her father rather than Trevor. And they were talking back and forth. Trevor says, no, 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 I'm so glad you did. And she was relieved. Trevor's a brilliant guy, and he's got me in pretty much every area, but mechanics he doesn't have me in. <laughs> and he said, no, I'm so glad you did. In fact, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, 
I'll go to your dad on that too. I feel like this is just double bonus time for a dad. And this is the way that God is with you and with me. Have you considered the possibility that you are loved and cherished that deeply that he wants to spend time with you, with you, not the person sitting next to you, with you, that he longs for that to be true. You know, we're going to spend a week right at the beginning of Advent, right after Thanksgiving, and we're going to shut down just about everything we possibly can around here, and we're going to just invite all of us to spend time with the Lord in prayer. There'll be some things available for early morning, things that will be happening here for those that want to avail themselves of that. At noon here, the prayer room has been freshly painted. But you, did, did you go in there last time we did the, the prayer time together and see all over the walls, all of these, these words and, 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 and thanksgivings to God? You walk in that prayer room and you realize that God does it again. He draws near, he draws near, he draws near, he draws near. We take the time, he steps in and engages in our life. That is what he does, and we're going to be involved in that. And the second thing that God says for us to pray for is um, for his presence, and this is what he does. He will also lift you up. He will lift you up. And this phrase, to be lifted up, is a reference to removing shame. In Ezra chapter 9, it talks about heads bowed in shame and disgrace, and he lifts our head up. It actually says it right there in verse 6 that he gives even more grace. So, so, so when, we're, when we're filled with guilt and shame, he comes in as a father and says, here, let me give you more grace. To lift up one head, one's head is also a reference used in, in Genesis chapter 40 where Pharaoh took, took Joseph and lifted up his head. I mean, not Joseph, but the, uh, 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 the baker, I think it was. And lifted up his head again, and restored him to his position. In Psalm 3, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. There is in this relationship, there is in this forgiveness, and there is in this significance. That's what God wants to do in your life. You know, Audrey, again, when, I was, when she was just a little, little tiny girl, and I would hold her in my arms, there were times when she would do this to me. She would just grab my face and she would turn it towards her. She wanted my complete attention. God wants the same thing for you and me because he's jealous for your life. He wants it to be filled with his character and he wants it to be enriched by capacities only he can bring. And he will do whatever it takes to bring that about. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your jealousy, God. Thank you that you long for this for us and uh, that we're worthy of your longing just simply because we belong to you. God, I pray that as we spend this time around the communion table and reminded of your grace to us, that we'd be also reminded of the things that you want us to give up and surrender. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.